Welcome to Fruit Snacks, a weekday podcast that covers big ideas about the Christian worldview in a bite-sized format. Hey everyone, today we are in Proverbs 14 and we are going to just be working our way through this proverb and like always, I'm just going to be commenting on things that stood out to me as I studied it and read through it and some interesting connections that uh, it may have to what our our current discussion uh, happens to be in the, uh, the broader context of this season. So, If you have a chance to go ahead and read through this proverb in its entirety, it's 35 verses, so it's a little bit on the long side. And like some of the past proverbs we've looked at, this one feels like a proverb in that it feels like there's a bunch of very loosely connected or maybe even entirely unconnected thoughts just all packed together in a chapter. But I feel like there is a more firm connection here that can be made if nothing else in that this proverb to me seems like it is continually discussing and making connections between and observations about the connection between our thought life our words and our actions just as a general theme this is a a idea that's going to come up again and again and again throughout this proverb But in more specific observation, I I did find a couple things just noteworthy and and interesting that I wanted to to touch on. One is something that we see in verses 9 and 10 of this proverb, which I will go ahead and read here. It says, fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. The heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. In verse 9, this idea of mocking at the guilt offering, that's not a cultural touchstone that we would be familiar with here outside of Hebrew culture. But if you go back to the book of Leviticus in the earlier chapters, you'll read about this thing called the guilt offering. And again, I want to be clear because we might tend to mischaracterize it in the Old Testament economy. There was no offering that you could make for an intentional, willful, high-handed sin against God. There was the death penalty for that kind of offense. And that might seem harsh to us, but we again need to take very seriously the Bible when it tells us straight up that the end result of sin is death and that sin is deserving of death, that that is the just wages the just reward for sin. But what about unintentional sins? What about if someone accidentally broke uh, code or did something that would have been uh, a high-handed sin had they known at the time, but they just were truly ignorant? Like, for instance, if they uh, grabbed something to eat from a table and it turns out that it was someone else's food and they they honestly thought that it w- it was theirs and they had just grabbed the wrong food. Well, they technically have stolen, but 
it was not an intentional theft. And so what can they do in those circumstances to make things right? Well, they can make restitution to the person. They can return what they what they took and, and make it right between them and the person. But then what about God? Well, they can bring what's called a guilt offering. Now, this is an interesting idea because the guilt offering was for unintentional sin. It was a sort of way of going out of your way to make sure that you had made things right. And what that demonstrates is, I think, really important when it comes to the heart orientation and the heart attitude toward God. It is by bringing a guilt offering, essentially saying to God, I take this relationship with you so seriously, and I am so concerned that I may have offended you by even unintentionally sinning, that I want to bring this here, this gift to you, because I want to make sure that you and I are good. I, I value this relationship so much that I would never intentionally do anything uh, to to sully it or to strain it. But even now, I realize that I have stepped over a line that I didn't even realize in the moment, and I, I am sorry, and I want to make sure that we are good. That is a heart attitude of contrition, of humility, and it really demonstrates the, again, just the, the submission to God and the desire for a right relationship with God. Now, with that sort of as our backdrop, let's bring it back to verse 9 of this proverb. The fool mocks this guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. With that kind of context, I think we can start to see that what this is really about, what this proverb is really saying is that a fool mocks at this offering because they really don't care what God thinks. And they are certainly not so interested in maintaining and pursuing their relationship with God that they will they will go out of their way to make sure that that they and God are good. Alternatively, though, the upright, those who are seeking after God, they enjoy knowing that they are accepted by God and, and seeking that acceptance from him. It's a complete inversion of heart attitude here. And moving into verse 10, this idea that the heart knows its own bitterness, but that no stranger shares its joy. I, I was reminded of this idea that no one truly knows a person's heart. I think that's part of what this verse is communicating. No one really truly knows what you feel and what you think and and who you really are inside. Not your kids, not your spouse, not your boss. Only you and only God truly know your own heart. And as a, a, a very unfortunate but timely example of this, we can look once again, as I mentioned on Saturday's podcast, to the example of the fall of of Ravi Zacharias, of all this information that came out after his death about the years of manipulation and spiritual abuse and sexual abuse and, and just abuse all around that he perpetrated against people in and around his sphere of influence. No one knew his heart, not really, not fully, except him and God. And it goes to show that our attitude toward God and how seriously we want to be right with God is ultimately something that is deep within each of us, but it is what drives everything else because what is in our heart will come out in our lives. That's part of the principle here in this proverb. So 
I may be the only one outside of God who truly knows my heart, but the fruit of what is truly in my heart, other people will eventually see, and it will come out. And we see this in verse 14, the backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. This is so similar to what Jesus taught, that the, that if your eye is full of light, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is full of darkness, how great is that darkness? That what's inside of you will become evident in some way, shape, or form to others. And throughout the proverb, we see examples of this contrasted, whether it's honesty versus deceitfulness, whether it is a attitude of patience versus an attitude of anger and being quick-tempered, whether it is confidence in God ultimately and, and being able to just have his peace versus panic at life circumstances or contentment with what we have and, and what is around us versus envy. And there are so many more examples, but these are these are several that come right out of this proverb that demonstrate that, look, what's in your heart is going to come out in the way you speak and in the, in the attitude you have toward others and the way that you act. And so a question that we should all ask is what attributes characterize my life? What attributes am I out of these exhibiting more often than, than the others? And what about in the lives of my friends, those who I choose to spend time with and hang out with and allow to influence my life? Which of these attributes characterize their lives? Should I even consider finding new friends? Because as we look in verse 7, it says, Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. How seriously do we take our friendships as it pertains to how it affects us spiritually? I think it's a question that we all should ask ourselves from time to time. Are there people or friends that I allow regular influence in my life who frankly are not a good spiritual influence on me, who are foolish in the way that they look at life and approach things, this proverb would encourage us to leave their presence. And part of this goes into sort of the last thought that I'll share for today, and that comes from verse 4, which is a little bit of a puzzle at first when we read it. It says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. So there seems to be this paradigm created here between, well, if you didn't have oxen, if you didn't have all the messy animals, then things would sure be cleaner and easier. But the abundant crops that you want, that are desirable and are good for your life, only come from dealing with those kinds of animals. And I think that one of the principles here is this idea of pursuing what is easy and what is uh, accessible versus pursuing what is truly impactful and worthwhile. Am I pursuing a life of ease? We're sure things are easy and they're clean. Uh, or am I pursuing a life of impact, a life that produces abundant crops? And yes, it's going to be hard. And yes, it's going to be dirty. And yes, it's going to be a lot of work. But as this proverb says, that's where the abundant crops come from. If you want a life of impact, it will not be easy. And so the choice is ours. And, and this proverb in a, in a way is about all about choices. It's about choices in our attitude, choices in our words, choices in our, our actions, and even choices in 
our friends, and those that we spend time with. So I hope as you reflect on this proverb, you will consider your choices and you will ask God and his Holy Spirit to influence your choices and reveal to you where you should be making different choices.